Hey, welcome to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm sitting here with Randy Spade once again. What's up? Zach, we are sitting here in new chairs, super comfortable. Well, you're sitting in a new chair. I'm sitting in my same old chair. You sure are. As I look at three brand new chairs that I could be sitting in right now, I don't know why I'm not. But you know what? We're hoping that in the not-too-distant future... We will be doing this both on camera and on our standard format. From our uh, fancy new desk, right? Our, our sweet yeah, new little our, set. Yeah, our, our table. Things are starting to look nice down here. I know, right? So we want to share it with everybody. Um, by the time you're hearing this, uh, as listeners, this is going to be what? Uh, Palm Sunday will have just happened. Uh, it's the middle of the week, and we got Easter right around the corner, right? Right, right. Uh, tomorrow night, I think uh, we'll be starting uh, Stations of the Cross, which is always, always a big thing, and uh, well, always a big thing. We've done it once before, but I just loved it, and I, I think a lot of people did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never been a part of it yet, so I'm, I'm intrigued to. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jan looked at me and said, you haven't been to that yet, have you? I said, nope. She said, it's heavy. <laughs> it really is. I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's it's meaningful. You came just after, I think. Yeah, well. Um, well, a couple of months after. A couple of months after. Yes. Yeah. Started in August. August, September-ish. Yeah. Yeah, so we did it in uh, at Easter season for whatever reason. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, why would you do it then, right? Um so, with that being the case, with it being Holy Week, um, I thought it'd be cool to talk about what what is Holy Week? Like, what – without going too into too much of a theological, like, deep dive, like, gen, genuinely, like, what do you think it is? Like, because here's the thing. The more I try and understand what actually happened on that cross, what actually – happened as far as salvation goes i i honestly i i almost get more confused um and i think part of it is just mysterious that there is just sort of like we don't fully understand it but we know what it we know what it means we know what it you know what that means on the other side of the cross right but what happened right at the death and resurrection of christ so, th- so there are like two aspects to it. There's the physical aspects of what happens when you crucify an individual, and um, that's gory. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you uh, gave a sermon. You had a picture, I think, from the Passion of the Christ of uh, Jim Caviezel was the actor, and uh, uh, th- they had made him up to look like he had been flogged with a Roman whip and uh, just just horrible, horrible pain. Um, but then there's the other side of it. I don't want to say the theological side of it because it's not really about theology. It's about the spiritual reality of what happened on the cross. Right. When you say when you call it like the theological aspect, you almost risk making it like, a textbook concept and, and that's only not that. what we're talking about. Like, yeah. It's a real thing that happened. It's just, it is just not quite in our realm on some level. There's a physical plane and there's a, a spiritual plane that's involved in the crucifixion. Right. Um, 
I've actually, sorry, not to go far, too far off track, but I've heard people say the same thing about Revelation. You know, like when you read the book of Revelation, that there's a there's a, a physical aspect to what's happening, and there's something happening behind the scenes as well. Yeah, I can, I can, uh, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, I I have a really hard time processing what what the crucifixion means. Um, I know what it is, and I know I know what that means for me now. But when it comes down to like I, I understand like it's tied in with like the Levitical sacrifices. It's t- I mean on some yeah. level it 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 is it sort of represents the culture that God had formed for the Israelites, but in a more perfect way. I I suppose ultimately what we're trying to do is answer the question: Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Yeah. Jesus himself had that question. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if I don't have to do this, I don't want to do this. And God said, you got to do it. Why? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? What was it that took place on the cross? Hmm. I tell you, this is kind of a weird quote, but it's... The closest one I've got to truly understanding um, what happened is Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia when he comes back, when he's resurrected. Um, he looks at the kids and they said, you know, you were dead. You know, how how did you come back? And he said, says something to the effect of, you know, the the witch thinks she understands the old magic but I was there when it was written. And <laughs> I remember that I quote. love that yeah. line. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, she might understand it, but I, I wrote it. I wrote it. Like yeah. I yeah. I made the rules, you know. And that that's almost like a good enough answer for me. <laughs> like, well, this is this is it's kind of I don't know if the word prophecy is the best word for it, but when uh Adam and Eve sinned God himself says to the serpent, um, Eve's going to bear a child, and he will, how is it, he will crush. He'll bruise your heel, but he'll crush his head. He'll bruise the the heel of the serpent. He says that to Eve, doesn't he? Yeah, your seed. Your Your seed will crush the head of the serpent, but his heel will be bruised. Right. And that's a reference to Christ. And that's pretty much where God leaves it there. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Really doesn't come back to it. You mentioned the Levitical system. So um, what is it in the Levitical system that kind of stands out to you in in uh, pointing towards the cross? Well, I think we there's a lot of imagery in the Bible about Jesus being like our perfect sacrifice, being a lamb, being this... Uh, the, the the final sacrifice being the last one, you know, and I think that all is in reference to the sacrificial system um, that sin requires death as payment. The reason that man made sacrifices was so that they didn't have to give their own lives. They could give the life of this an, this animal in place of their sin, right? So part of it is, is you have uh, animals being, being – um 
all my Spanish words are coming out. That's where I did most of my theology. <laughs> they go yellow. Uh, all, all of the animals, are their throats are being slit. They're being eviscerated. Uh, somebody's got to die for this man's sin. Right. And if I understand it right, the priest, during an animal sacrifice, would put one of his hands on the man's head and one of his hands on the animal's head. Because he needed to feel the life in both of them. Right. And then the man would kill the animal. Okay. I, so, I think that's right. So, okay. I, I've never heard it explained that way. I always, like, I that may be worth looking into. Um it might be another podcast, too. That, well, that so, could be a rabbit trail. Well, well, in all fairness, though, you may be absolutely right because the only time I've heard the whole sticking the hand on the, the head of the animal is when the priest would give uh, – what what was the uh, the special sacrifice for, like, the entire nation? Um, oh, the scapegoat? The, yeah, yeah, the, when uh, he would do the scapegoat. On, on the Day of Atonement, which that is what the cross is all about is atonement. Right. Right. But it's not held on the Day of Atonement. It's held on the Day of the Passover, right. which I think is crucial because I think of everything that happens in the Old Testament. It's the Passover sacrificial lamb that has uh, the strongest tie into Jesus. Well, it's the Passover sacrificial lamb. So the, so the Hebrews, so the Israelites wouldn't have their firstborn sons taken from them, right? So in that, in that uh, section of Israel's history, Israel is captive in Egypt, and uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? And 10 plagues later, Pharaoh knows who God is. He's destroyed his crops. He's destroyed his animals. Uh, his Every plague was a direct attack against an Egyptian god or goddess. Uh, the river Nile, the earth, uh, insects, just everything, a fire from heaven. And it ends up with an attack on uh, the firstborn Pharaoh's own son, who, when Pharaoh died, he became one of the gods. So it was an t- attack against the god who would be Pharaoh, who would become a god well, and it's in sort, Egyptian And religion. it's sort of an attack on Pharaoh himself, oh, saying absolutely. there's nothing you can do to save your own son right. except for bow to me. You know, right. like. But in that scenario, uh, Moses told the Israelites, take a lamb sacrifice it, paint the blood on the doors of your house. And the way he describes it, now I don't know if it was this way or not. He said, uh, put it against the sides of the doors, the top of the door, and the bottom of the door. And I've heard very popularly uh, preachers say that you had to make the sign of the cross to do that. You had to go side to side and then top to bottom so you're you're making a cross. I don't know if that was in Moses's mind, but definitely the blood of a sacrificial lamb was there. Right. That becomes interesting because every year this was the one holiday, holy day that Israel would celebrate on a regular basis. The story 
the the memory of leaving Egypt, the memory of the angel of death coming, and Israel being protected by the sacrifice of a lamb. And even more than that, though, um, tied in there, you know, I, I see the idea that it's that Israel's doing this so their sons don't have to die. Right. And now on the cross, it's so their sons don't have to die. Right. But in order to do that, God is giving his son. And I see that same tie-in with Abraham and Isaac saying, no, you don't have to kill your son. I'll provide the sacrifice. And then ultimately you see that reflected in Christ. It's like you're seeing Christ represented all throughout the Old Testament, which is ludicrous to me on how Jewish people do not see that. But that's <laughs> <laughs> that's another another time, I guess. But I – yeah, it's – it's crazy how much imagery reflects back to the Old Testament. Like you were just talking about the door. And uh, I think to John 10, 9 through 16, or John 10, 9, it says, I am the door. Yeah. If anyone enters yeah. by me, he will be saved and will go in and out to find pasture. You know, and now you've got you know, this this idea of a, a, a blood-covered door, and now you've got Christ as this blood-covered door, you know. Well, from from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the whole thing starts off when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Right. Now, what in the world is the Lamb of God? It's not the Lamb that is sacrificed for God. It's not the Lamb that uh, God needs. Apparently, this is the Lamb that God gives Israel. And the lamb sacrifice, the sin offer uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament were, um, they were calves, I believe. Lamb was, I think, exclusively for Easter or for the redemption of the firstborn. Okay. I think. Um, and that's Jesus. That's the, the Last Supper. Uh, course we have the picture that da vinci took of the last supper yeah (laughs) last supper uh what's remarkable there and pretty accurate there's no lamb there okay the lamb was sacrificed either late on thursday and then prepared overnight for eating on the passover meal which began friday night at six or yeah, Friday night was the beginning of the Sabbath. So it began at the start of Sabbath on what we would recognize as Friday night. Last Supper was Thursday night. There was no lamb there. That's why it was so easy for them to find a, find a room. Um, they didn't have to throw anybody out because nobody wanted the room on Thursday. They wanted it on Friday. That upper room was probably filled with a much bigger party with a lamb. On Friday. On Friday. And he is the lamb. But yeah, you don't need the lamb there because he is the lamb. And I think the disciples came to recognize that later. And you get those references later in the epistles. And especially one of my favorite passages from the book of Revelation where John says, I looked and I saw the Lion of Judah, and I blinked and I looked again, and it was a lamb that had been pierced. 
and oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm also noticing you. You mentioned uh, when John the Baptist says uh, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." And then it says, "Who takes away the sin of the world?" Right. And it's crazy because John knew. He had to know because what else would a lamb be for? That's right. And it's even weirder, though, because all the disciples, it's like with all this information, like they were all Jews. They all lived in the culture. They should have known. You know, but the, the culture the was telling them something very, very different. Um, nationalism, Jewish nationalism and – yeah, we're going to rise up again against Rome. We did it once under Simon Maccabees. We're going to do it again. We're just waiting for the right guy. Hey, here's Jesus. He must be the right guy. So even after the resurrection, the crucifixion, uh, Jesus is now getting ready to ascend into heaven, the very beginning of the book of Acts, and the disciples say, uh, now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> They just still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Yeah. Huh. It was just, it's super clear to us because we stand after Christ looking back. So we look at the Old Testament through Christ. They were standing between looking at the Old Testament, listening to what was being said around them, and looking at Jesus saying, okay, that doesn't match up with what's being said. I kind of see this in the Old Testament, but it's just not making sense. I'm confused. It seems, though, like their theology developed extremely quickly once they started to figure it out. Because Paul has a fantastic grasp on things. And it's only about 10 years after the death of Christ. Exactly. And so my thing is, somewhere in there, they had to just have been like, Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's what that meant. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he starts to piece it all together. I mean, because, I mean, if you apply what the what the disciples are saying, it's like, yeah, they're not even on the same page as Jesus. Right. Most of the time. Right. And then, yeah, by the time you get to Paul, it's like fully hashed out. I I think the big jump for them was once they really, really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and then understood that the Messiah comes not once but twice. Right. So there are some passages that talk about the second time he's coming and some that talk about the first. Okay, now we can start to separate those two things and begin to make sense of this. Right. Yeah. Um, Man, I, I guess now that I'm thinking of it, I guess Peter... Peter seems to have a pretty good grasp on it throughout Acts as well. But he's still kind of learning throughout Acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. That was a little bit of a rabbit trail. But um, We talked a little bit about the atonement, and there are different theories on what the atonement is. And that really is kind of the, the answer to the question, why did Jesus uh, have to die on the cross? It was because of the atonement, to atone for sins. So what is the atonement? One of the one of the one of the theories is that the atonement is all about paying a ransom. Satan holds us kidnapped. He holds us captive. And he says to God, uh, you have to pay for this sinner to be freed. 
and Jesus pays the ransom. And there are some verses that that seem to indicate, uses vocabulary related to ransom. Some, um, one of the theories of atonement is a satisfaction theory. God is the one that has to be satisfied. Somebody's got to pay for uh, uh, for the sin of man. And in that theory, it's it's actually kind of a popular one in the church today. Um, God himself says, and man can't pay that, so I will pay for that myself. I'll send my son to die. And Jesus pays that price on the cross. And again, there are some uh, uh, passages that seem to imply that there is a satisfaction motif going on in the crucifixion. Some uh, just say uh, this is a wonderful uh, example of what it means to give your life for somebody else. Right. And there are, again, verses, passages that do talk about, as Jesus gave his life for you, you're to live for each other. So the bottom line on these theories of atonement is they're all kind of right and they're all kind of wrong. Uh, wrong because none of them goes far enough. It's almost like it's all of them. It's Yeah, it's it's uh, choice E, all right. of the above. Right. Um there's so much going on in the crucifixion that it's kind of hard to summarize it and say it's it's just this one thing. An, a, another one uh, that I guess I'd never really thought of as the atonement, but um, like the Heiser worldview. Well, I don't want to call it the Heiser worldview, but the worldview he talks about. Um, like at Babel, in, in his worldview, um, God hands over all the nations to whatever gods they want to worship. And so basically the divine council. Yeah, it's like it's view. the it's the kind of like all that god of this world language like Satan, it's almost like the world is handed over to Satan at that point and to his angels. That okay, fine, worship whatever gods you want to worship. But then through Christ death and resurrection on the cross he is reclaiming all the nations as his own and saying, no, these are mine again. And I like that. I think that's a beautiful kind of like, it kind of puts the Old Testament full circle in a way as well. Yeah, yeah. So Heiser, if I understand right, um, what Heiser is saying is that in Genesis 6, is it? Which, what are you going to, uh, Babel? Uh, the, the beginning of the divine council. Well, yeah. Babel is chapter 10, I think, isn't it? Let's just look. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, that that God split the world up uh, uh, among a divine council, but the divine council got full of itself, and God's intent was that they direct all of the nations back to God, but they had them focus on themselves. Well, yeah, because what happens is it, it, Babel is. Where is Babel? It is after six. Because six is where the Nephilim happen, where right, the sons of right, God right. have sex with the daughters of man and have these giants and whatever. Now, Heiser is not inventing this stuff. He's pulling this stuff out of literature 
that occurs between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. So this is a popular way of looking at the world in Jesus' time, actually. And, and it really makes sense, too, when you think about it's, it's, – uh, you have to go to Deuteronomy to get the actual verse re- referring back to the Tower it's Deuteronomy of Deuteronomy 32, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he yeah. says, and I divided them among my – but among the number of my sons, right? Um, and so Heiser's worldview says, okay, God handed over the nations to whatever gods they wanted to serve. Right, which explains why we've got all the Greek gods and all the Roman gods and all the Egyptian gods, and it also explains why they're referred to as actual beings and not just as like make believe things. Right, like, right. They're not God. They're actually, yeah, yeah. Paul actually uses that very terminology. God gave them over. Right, exactly. But then what happens directly after Babel is that's when God turns around and goes to Abraham and says, "You're going to be my people." And it's like he's just turned and he said, fine, the whole world, you can worship whatever you want. But then I'm going to take this group of people and they're going to learn who I am and they're going to show the world who I am. And then from that bloodline is what Jesus is born from. And then Jesus reclaims all of humanity under himself. Then Israel struggles with other gods, with idolatry, worshiping other gods up until the time of the exile. At the time of the exile, they kind of get that straight. When they come back from the exile, they no longer struggle with other gods. Their struggle is just obedience. Right. They struggle to to follow God, to do what God says right. they need to be doing. Which is kind of interesting, too, because, I mean, if Christ has reclaimed the world from all these other little g-gods at that point in time, I mean, it makes sense why there isn't as much of a focus afterwards on all these other, like, I guess paganism kind of falls apart to some degree. You know, it's not as prevalent as it once was. You know, I, that's just interesting to me. So you, you've you've hit on something, I think, crucial there. Uh, on the cross, something does happen on a spiritual plane that is deeper than just um, my sins are forgiven. That is definitely true. Yeah. But also... Um, there is a spiritual reality that is defeated, that is overcome. Uh, Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. The head of that serpent is crushed. The, the head of the serpent is crushed. Jesus' heel, yeah, it was, it was injured. Well, it doesn't. It, it says he'll, he'll die, but then does it in Genesis say that he'll be brought I back? I don't think in Genesis it says that. That's that not until like Isaiah. That's more. Yeah, yeah, that comes a lot later. It just that uh, your seed will crush his head and he will injure or bite or yeah. wound his heel, I think is what it says. Yeah. Something. Um, I lost my thought. No, I don't remember. <laughs> Well, we could sit here and stare at each other, or we can go on with something else. Um, the, the reality is, uh, at the cross, Satan is, I want to say this carefully, he's defeated, but it's not like he's dead. Uh, he's he's His power no, is no longer what it was. His power is definitely limited. Well... In the divine council worldview, 
he is no longer the prince of the world. Christ is. Christ is. Yes. And all of his enemies are currently being put under his feet. That is, that's where we're at now. The, so I haven't read Heiser and I don't know what his answer to this would be. Um, I would assume he would be saying something like, but people don't get it yet. (laughs) So you've got people still living on their own, still living as if they were uh, under Satan. Right, Uh, right. uh, Listening to him, paying attention to him. Uh, I think it's less uh, living for Satan and more just living apart from Christ. Yeah. I think... But Living the, for themselves. But then that's coming back to the whole like trees analogy, like that I believe is an analogy. Um, get, getting back to the tree of life, to to eat from the tree of life means to live forever. I don't think that's a one time you pick up a fruit and eat it. I think it's a symbol of your relationship with Christ that you need to eat every day, you know, and that you eat from Christ. You you get your nourishment, your sustenance from Christ, and he provides you with that life. It's not a one-and-done situation. It is a constant coming back and eating from that good tree. You know what I mean? Um, what I'm sure there's plenty of people that would disagree with what I just said, but whether or not that's what the Bible means when it writes that, it holds up. I mean, it's it's theologically accurate. Once Jesus is crucified, uh, I'm sorry, once Jesus is resurrected, once he comes back to life, um, his exchanges with the disciples are really interesting. He is no longer with them 24-7 like he was before. Right. And in fact, with Mary, Mary goes to grab him and he says, don't cling to me. Which he says, I've, I've not yet ascended to my father. Which, personally, I believe what he's saying is, you got to get used to being without me. Right. Uh, I am, I'm in the middle right now. I had descended into the grave, and now I will ascend to the father. So there's going to come a time when my physical body isn't here. You got to get used to that. You right. Don't cling to me. He's preparing them for right. for a life without his physical body there. So there are changes that he lets them know uh, they're coming. Um, I don't know exactly what relationship that might have with the crucifixion, um, or m- maybe it's just things that occurred in order. What do you what do you mean by that? He he had to be crucified to be to die. He right. had to die to raise from the dead. He had to raise from the dead. Oh, to ascend right! To the like Father. it's just so a natural just, order of things. Just a natural order. Yeah, just a chronology. Right. That's taking place. Or if there's something uh, uh, tied between the crucifixion and and uh, his ascension, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. When it, so something I've wondered about, and I don't know where, what your thoughts are on this. Um, I, for the longest time, thought that 
nobody was saved until Christ. Like that there was just a select few. And I think that's a common view. Do you believe that? I mean, now I say no, I think there were people that were saved without Christ. Uh, well, sorry, like before before Jesus walked the earth. Right. But they were still saved by faith in God. Exactly. Right? Um, so was what Christ did, did he make it possible for all of the Gentile nations to be saved? Oh, yeah. Or could they have been saved before that? Because they didn't live by the law. But then again, the law was never meant to say – like it's it, – it is confusing. Right, right. You do get um, individuals outside of Israel who follow God. In some way, shape, or form, they have a sense and they typically don't call him – they certainly don't call him Yahweh. Uh, they may call him Elohim. But uh, their preferred term is the Most High, El- Elion. Uh, we did a, a podcast on names for God, and El Elion is one, and it frequently occurs in the mouths of people like uh, Melchizedek and and uh, mm. Moses's father-in-law Jethro and Nebuchadnezzar and uh, these other people who had a sense of reverence. And awe for the God of Abraham and Daniel and whoever was there in front of them. But it was greater than just, oh, gee, I got to watch out for him. It was, wow, this is real. one true God. Yeah, this one is real. So, yeah, I kind of think before Christ walked the earth— There are individuals who uh, had died that maybe were kind of waiting. And that's there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about Jesus descended. Uh, You familiar with that passage? Yeah, but I've got an argument against it too. Yeah, well, let me me tell you what I have heard, and then you can shoot it down. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, When Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts, uh, he quotes a a passage from the Old Testament. What he quotes is, um, boy, I'm not going to be able to find that. Oh, there it is, Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul says, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, one uh, one approach says that when it says that Christ descended as he went to the grave to a place of holding, to a marshalling area, and led the people who had previously believed in him through their faith in God, he led them uh, to freedom, those who had been captive. Not the verse I thought you were going with. Okay. But same concept. Um, I don't know that when Christ went to the—when he descended, 
that he went to speak to the souls of people, but to angels. And the reason I say that is because when you read Jude 1, 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And then in Second Peter, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And there's another verse that kind of ties uh, what Christ, the, the people Christ goes and speaks to. I'm trying to think who, um, what the verse is. But it's basically like proclaiming to those in chains or something like that. But my argument is that the people that are in chains are angels through verses in the Bible. Now, okay. what that doesn't mean that there can't be people there. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I don't know. But what I do know is what it does say. And so that's... I just don't. I guess I'm just saying I don't know that it's enough evidence. Okay. But but I I think that's the classical view though. What you're saying, um, especially in like the Apostles' Creed is kind of where that tends to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is you know we kind of skipped over that part when we went through it because it's a little uh, controversial. Well, but. not only controversial but but confusing and speculative. Exactly, and th- and that's kind of where I'm at. Is like, yeah, absolutely, maybe, but I don't, right? I don't know. Like, and that's so I don't know. I can't really apply it too deeply, but it is interesting. Great saying in Spanish: "Lo más seguro es quién sabe." Uh, the one thing that we do know is who knows. That's literally <laughs> my life motto these days. Yeah. That's you're gonna have to teach me that slowly. <laughs> so. We know that Christ died for our sins. We know that Christ reclaimed all of the earth as his own, that he he took authority back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, He defeated death. He defeated death. We know that it's a fulfillment of a prophecy, the prophecy from the beginning when man sinned, that, that Jesus fulfilled that. We know that he fulfilled the major prophets like Isaiah. Um, like he came and he, he was the suffering servant and, you know, like he, he fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. Um, we see that there's Levitical sacrifice language. It's almost like he's tying together so much of the old Testament scripture. And maybe even if we don't see how all those dots fully connect to deny that he's the one that they're all talking about is crazy. So the cross is kind of the great gathering of loose ends. Kind of, yeah. It's yeah. a it's a crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Let me throw another couple of things in there. You mentioned that he died for our sins. That is certainly true. Uh, uh, I've I've come to realize lately. I've mentioned this before that he also died for our shame and he died for our weakness on the cross. We are plagued not only by sin. We are plagued by shame, the shame that stems from our sin, but also just from the fact of being human. Uh, And we are plagued by weakness. And again, weakness because of our sin and weakness because of just the fact of being human. Christ died for all of that and gives us, in terms of the sin, he gives us the ability to live righteously. Right. Instead of shame, he calls us 
to be a member of God's family. There is one passage, I don't remember exactly where, that talks about Jesus as a brother. If Jesus is God's son and we are God's children, then Jesus is indeed our brother. Well, he even says it uh, when he says, when he divines them to his left and his right, and he says, any of the anything that you've done for these brothers of mine, you've done for me. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He does. And then, and then our weakness, uh, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Um, that is related to the death on the cross. John from fourteen to sixteen. Jesus says, if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But once I go away, you can receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes with power, not necessarily power to, to uh, curse a fig tree or, or uh, you know, do the miracle kind of things, although that is there too. But it's the power to live. It's the power to actually change. It's the power that Jews were looking for at the time of Jesus, the power to live a right life. Well, the, you're talking about the Holy Spirit there. The thing that you've blown my mind with recently was the paraclete terminology. Like he gave, through the Holy Spirit, gave us a basically a defense attorney yeah. <laughs> against yeah. the prosecutor that is Satan. You know, like, That's and, right. So when accusations come our way and we want to feel guilty, we have Christ himself to step in on our behalf and say, no, like, they're mine. You know, like, that's that's huge. And all of this comes out of the cross. All of it. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we've sat here for 40 minutes, and we've hashed out a lot. And I don't know that we actually answered the question of what really happened there, like, like on a on a spiritual level. But we see glimpses of it through the many things that we know did happen on that cross. Like so many things, we don't necessarily see the how, but we see the so what. Uh, Because of the cross, things change. And we get to see the change. We get to live the change. It's kind of like... It's a stupid, stupid example, but I had to clean my drain the other day, (laughs) (laughs) and I poured vinegar and baking soda down the drain, and I watched the reaction, and I was mind blown by the reaction, just like I am every time I ever see vinegar and baking soda meet. (laughs) I cannot explain to you on a scientific level why that happens, and I know somebody can. I can't, but I know what happens when I mix vinegar and baking soda together. And I guess that's sort of a similar concept clean? here. It did get clean, man. It was awesome. It blow up. <laughs> it didn't blow up. We survived, but right on. Well, I mean, do you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just maybe one or two other things. Um, you know, the the uh, Paul. So Paul is the first writer in the New Testament. He wrote before anybody else. What he wrote were letters to the churches. Uh, First one that he wrote is probably Thessalonians, maybe possibly Galatians, depending on your view. But early, early, early on, he wrote the Corinthian letters. And when he talks about what he did with the Corinthians, he says, I purposed when I came to you to tell you nothing but Jesus and him crucified. So 
very early on. This probably is 15 years after the death of Christ. Paul is already saying this is foundational. This this is the crossroads. This is the great tire of all of the loose ends in the Old Testament, in the intertestamental period, in uh, the nation of Israel, in the nation of Rome, in all of the other nations that are out there, in my life, in your life, just know Jesus and him crucified. That is enough. Right. And Paul knew, Paul was a very smart man, but says, I don't claim to know anything else but that. That's right. And that's huge. Everything else falls by the wayside. Right. Like, I could be wrong about all that other stuff, but I know this. Yeah. Then you come to the book of Revelation, the very end of all time. Every time you see a figure of Jesus, nah, I probably overstated the case. Most times that you see Jesus, and especially when he's around the throne, you see his wounds. Yeah. You see the lamb that was slain. Uh, You see a man in a white robe with red stains. Uh, That is Jesus forever. He's proud of it. Rightfully so. Right. Like he's not... Like we all get these new bodies, we'll have these perfect bodies in heaven, and Christ is still sporting his wounds from the cross. That's interesting to me. That's amazing. But you know that all a lot of the stuff that happens to us in life, a lot of the the baggage that we carry with us, we lose that at the grave, right? Yeah. But Christ didn't do anything wrong that he needs to get rid of at the grave. <laughs> That's right. He could take it all with him. That's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, the last thing, too, that you just kind of reminded me of talking about uh, Paul was uh, what Paul says to Timothy um, when he tells Timothy just to remember, remember Christ resurrected. Like, that's basically what he live, leaves Timothy with, <laughs> like... That, like, I know this is going to be hard, you know, life's hard and everything, but you just have to remember that that happened. Remember that that is the truth. And I, I think that's probably the best thing we can do. Yeah. That's why Easter on a yearly basis is so important to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we don't need to leave it at Easter. That I know I drive that point into the ground, but, like, it's so easy to forget the magnitude of what God has done and is doing. Um, and then we just kind of remember it twice a year at Christmas and Easter. Even people who, I mean, I, we, we talk about the Bible all the time and I think it becomes a little more real at Easter and Christmas. Yeah. And it's like, we gotta, we gotta avoid that. We gotta know it all the time. About three months ago, uh, we did a podcast on, um, uh, Jesus's, birth on the incarnation and uh, mentioned then that there are two moments in all of Christian history and all of history of the world and everything hinges on that. They're just separated by 33 years. The uh, incarnation, God becomes man and crucifixion, atonement and resurrection when God overcomes death and leads us to a better life. Right. And then uh and then I guess 
there will be a third one one day, right? <laughs> it's coming still. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Don't uh don't miss the ending. It's a good one. So Spoiler right. alert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you liked what you heard, check us out on uh, whatever platform you're you're listening on. Give us a comment. Give us a like. Give us a subscription, a follow, whatever it allows you to do. Uh, that helps us out a lot. Uh, if you've got questions, send them into saints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. Just make sure to specify that it's for the podcast. Um, yeah, stay salty. God kept calling my heart. Like, I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting. I and mean, he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.